This is Body Count, a horror movie podcast, with your hosts, Trent Scott and Graham Asher. <laughs> everyone and welcome to Body Count, your home for all things creepy, crawly, ghouly, gory, or anything else that goes bump in the night. I am Trent Scott and he is Graham Ashley. What's up Trent? It's great to be back with our third installment of the Body Count podcast. Trent, a short recap for all the listeners here. We kicked off the podcast with John Carpenter's classic Halloween, which premiered on Halloween. We followed that up with Friday the 13th, which appeared, you guessed it, on Friday the 13th. And now we are on to the third film, what some may call uh, part of the big three as we review A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no Nightmare on Elm Street day, so we just kind of had to make do. (laughs) Yeah, we had to make do. Um, Yeah, we're getting Wes Craven, um, who needs to be a part of these podcasts going forward. He's one of the, one of the horror greats, one of the horror icons. So um, this is our first dip into Wes Craven's work. Yeah. You know, one of the, when you talk about names in the horror movie industry from the past 40 years, you talk about John Carpenter and you talk about Wes Craven. So it feels, uh, you know, like we're, we're bringing it home here. Like I said, this is basically the big three. When you think of slashers, you think of Freddie, you think of Jason and you think of Michael Myers. Yeah, I was really pumped to rewatch this, and you said it, the big three. I, I stated it as, you know, if you had a Mount Rushmore of horror movie villains, uh, Freddy Krueger would certainly be on that Mount Rushmore. Well, that's actually an interesting question. Who? So I think we, we would agree, you know, f- we put Freddy, Jason, and Michael on Mount Rushmore. Who's right. the fourth face? Yeah, who's the Grover Cleveland of the, uh, <laughs> would of it the be, Mount Rushmore? Would it be Leatherface, maybe? Um, Leatherface is an interesting choice. If you're going for old school, I don't know. Would you, could you consider the Ghostface Killer to be? Ooh, that's a great call. Scream. You know, a more modern, a more modern uh, one. That's a really good shot right there. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously, it's not the same villain per film like um, some of these other ones. You know, Freddy Krueger appears in all of them. But as far as like being the most iconic and recognizable I mean, I'm a huge Scream fan. Um, we're 90s kids, so that was huge for our lives. Um, yeah, that's definitely a more modern take. I'm trying to think of other ones. I mean, I don't really Chucky? know. Is there Chucky would be a good one. I love, I love me some Child's Play. The there Leprechaun? Hasn't been a good... <laughs> Not the Leprechaun. And, we... <laughs> and full disclosure, when we were uh, you know, getting ready for this podcast, we did review Leprechaun, so we might release that one out to the masses sometime. But what would you think? I mean, there's never been a really good, like, vampire or, you know, I, I know that's a different, but you know what I mean? Like, Dracula is well known as far as, like, right. what that means, but I can't really think of uh, too many good good Dracula films that would really make it on here. Yeah, you know, like you said, you know, Dracula, when you talk about classic monsters, you talk about Dracula, you talk about Frankenstein, Swamp Thing, whatever, but... Maybe The Mummy or something. Yeah, but I don't know because it's been literal 
decades, like 50, 60 years since there's been yeah. any kind of significant film uh, starring those, those creatures. You know, of course, uh, Universal tried with the Dark Universe and uh, The Mummy, but it failed. Um, and I, I don't think we're going to see that franchise come back. Um, so they, they wanted to try it, but it just it doesn't seem like it worked out. But anyway, uh, we are kind of wandering off course here. So let's get back <laughs> to the business at hand. And let's talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street, shall we? Let's do it. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to your one-sentence uh, synopsis here, Trent. A Nightmare on Elm Street tells a sad tale of a man found innocent but yet killed for his crimes. <laughs> oh, that's so great. That is so great. I love it. That's yeah. right. Fred Krueger, innocent by, <laughs> by a court of law. Innocent. Well, eh, guilty, not guilty. But technically, he got off on a technicality, right? They so. didn't have a warrant. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, semantics. Yeah, we'll get there. All right. So let's actually jump into the film proper. Uh, our opening credits, uh, it's it, kind of a different uh, type situation than we had with the uh, Friday the 13th and Halloween, where we actually get a true opening credit scene here instead of just, uh, you know, rolling credits, where we see a blonde girl named Tina running around a boiler room. We see it's this uh, glove being put together uh, with four razor-sharp knives as fingers. Of course, if you've ever seen this franchise, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that is our opening credits after that. We, uh, we roll into uh, the film proper. We see some little children skipping rope and singing, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. Uh, you know the rest. And we meet our soon-to-be dead teenagers. That's right. This is another one of those classic Roger Ebert dead teenager films as we meet Tina along with her friends, Nancy, Rod, and Glenn. Yeah, we've got the four, like you said, the, the, the dead teenagers that we're going to be following throughout the film. Um, it's just following the trope perfect, perfectly here. I thought it was interesting, the opening, you know, it, the film opens really abruptly. Like, we just, we just jump right in, yes. like you said. We're just in it. We are in um, the boiler room. <laughs> Tina is yeah. running for her life. Yeah, and then the title card comes up real quickly that says A Nightmare on Elm Street, and then we're back into this into this boiler room area. And then, you know, like you said, she wakes up and boom, we're, we're at school. So um, right from the, the jump, you're just kind of, you're, it's not familiar. You're kind of put, um, you know, a little on edge. So I thought that was cool. And that's, uh, that, that's important because like you said, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of times in this movie, you're not quite sure. Are we awake? Are we asleep? What's going on right now? And they do a very good job establishing that kind of, you know, mystery right from the opening scene yep agreed uh one other thing that i want to talk about here though only four teenagers this is a significantly smaller cast than what we saw last week with uh friday the 13th so i thought that was interesting because this is much like halloween where i believe there were five teenagers so this is once again a smaller group so tina tells everyone you know she's had this bad dream she wants them all to come over so from there we go to that night everyone is crashing the night at tina's and they start talking and they've all realized they're dreaming about the same man but glenn by the way we didn't mention this glenn johnny depp johnny depp a young johnny depp making his uh film debut even on the opening credits it says introducing johnny depp and yeah like you said he plays glenn 
And he's hearing Nancy and Tina talk about their dreams, and, and he basically dismisses it, says, you know, that's impossible. Um, you know, I'm not having those dreams. Yes. So, uh, so like I said, we are at Tina's house. Uh, Glenn calls his mom, pretending to be at a cousin's house. Uh, Nancy has permission to actually be there because she's the good girl. And then eventually uh, Rod shows up out of nowhere. He tackles Glenn, and our four teenagers are, are together. Uh, Tina and Rod are a couple. They make their way upstairs to do what couples do. Uh, <laughs> Tina wakes up. She hears a voice calling, and then rocks are being thrown against her window. Eventually, one of the windows gets broken. Now, while this is happening, we are cutting back and forth to a scene of Nancy asleep in a bed where we see a cross get knocked off the wall, and then in one of the most famous shots in the movie, we see the wall stretch forward, and we can see like the shape of a human pushing up against the wall like it's like plastic or something. Yeah, that was a super cool shot. Really cool practical effects that they used there. Um, reminded me of another one of my favorite horror films that come out that comes out much later, uh, The Frighteners, um, when when that figure's coming coming through a wall and it, and it looks really cool there. So eventually, Tina decides to follow the voice, and of course, the voice is coming from Freddy. And eventually, Freddy uh, chases Tina down in Tina's dream, but. If you die in the dream, you die in real life. And unfortunately, <laughs> that's what happens here because you can ring the bell. Tina is our first victim as her boyfriend Rod hopelessly watches her body being shredded and whipped across the room in real life. Yes, so there we have body count number one, Trent. Tina, I have slashed to death. Like you said, Rod wakes up and he's seeing Tina just drug across the walls, up on the ceiling by some kind of invisible force she's getting slashed up bloods everywhere you know what the heck is going on so rod freaks out he escapes through the window we don't know what happens to him the police come you know they collect uh tina's body we go to the police station and there we find out that nancy's father is actually a lieutenant yeah, that seems to be pretty common in these horror films, right? It's just somebody associated with the cast is also a part of the police department. So, so of course, Rod ran away. It looks like, uh, you know, makes him look guilty. So mm -hmm. he, we hear the cops talking about how Rod is wanted, which frankly makes sense. So then uh, we go to the next morning, and shockingly, Tina decides she wants to go to school. The morning after her best friend is slashed to death. Yeah, she's just like, hey, you know, you got to keep, keep on trucking. What high school kid, first of all, wants to go to school? And at second all, of all, on a regular all, day. <laughs> on a regular day. You're, not, you're always looking for ways not to go to school. But yeah, like you said, her friend gets murdered by presumably uh, her other friend. And she's yeah. like, yeah, better go to class. <laughs> that algebra ain't going to solve itself, I guess. <laughs> so, so as she is walking to school, out of a bush, Rod grabs her, pulls her in, tells her he was innocent. And uh, just about then, here comes her father, Don, the lieutenant. It was all a trap. He used his own daughter as bait. Yeah. What the heck? Come on, lieutenant. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So like you said, uh, you know, he ambushes, he ambushes Nancy to try to tell, him, tell her, hey, I'm innocent here. Um, don't believe what they're saying. You know, they had previously shown – um, a quick little clip of a news report saying that there's like a, like a huge manhunt going on for this guy. So 
He's definitely sought after by the authorities for the murder of Tina. And Nancy, now still undeterred, makes her way to school. Yeah, continues <laughs> on to school. You got to get that education no here. Fred's been murdered. You've just been caught by the presumed murderer. <laughs> Your dad used you as bait. No problem. Still heading to class. Where, shockingly, she falls asleep. <laughs> well, you know, in her defense, they were talking about Shakespeare, so <laughs> that can put most teenagers to sleep. But yeah, she starts to nod off, and we know that that's a bad sign. So she wakes up. She doesn't realize it's a dream, of course. And she looks over, and standing in the doorway is Tina in a body bag. So she gets up to follow Tina. Uh, she gets out in the hallway. Uh, we see Tina's now being drug by an invisible force she runs into a hall nazi who tells her she needs a hall pass and is <laughs> interestingly wearing a red and green sweater wouldn't you know it yep there you go uh so from there uh nancy wanders finds her way into the boiler room of all places and she is chased by freddie and she wakes up screaming in class yeah so She's, she's cornered by Freddy in the ballroom that we'll become very familiar with here. And she presses her arm against a hot pipe, burning it in her dream and waking her up into the classroom where she's screaming her head off. Finally decides, hey, maybe I should go home. <laughs> yeah, that's the final straw is the nightmare. Not the murder, <laughs> not being ambushed, not being used as bait, a bad dream. <laughs> yep. Um, so from there, uh, that night she decides to go visit Rod in jail. Um, and he tells her, it is, it's an expansion of his story from earlier. He tells her, I'm innocent. I didn't do it. There was someone else there. I couldn't see them, but it looked like they had four knives. And this immediately sets off Nancy because she knows exactly what he's talking about. Yes, Nancy realizes that she's also been sharing that same kind of dream with her friend Tina. So she realizes that, and she, you know, leaves abruptly. So from there, she makes her way back home. Time to take a bath, because it's been a really long day for me, right? <laughs> well, she is in the bath, and now she is singing, One, Two, Freddy's Coming for You. And eventually, she nods off. This girl's got narcolepsy. But <laughs> as she nods off, we get another one of the most iconic shots of the film, which is... Yes. Freddie's gloved hand coming up in the bath as she is sleeping in the bath. Yeah, definitely one of the most iconic shots of the film. Um, like you said, she, she nods off. You see that gloved hand emerge from her bubble bath um, right between her legs and is creeping up toward her. Boom, there's a knock at the door. It's her mom. She, she wakes up. The glove disappears. And, you know, she's, she's back to... Yep. Except then she nods off again, and this time she gets pulled into the water, and somehow the bathtub becomes like a vast lake. Freddie's mm -hmm. trying to drown her. She's screaming. She's shouting. Her mom uh, busts into the locked bathroom, and Nancy has managed to fight her way out and say, oh, I just slipped getting out of the tub. Yeah, don't worry about it. Her mom had warned her not to fall asleep in the tub because she could drown. She's like hundreds of people drown every year in the bathtub, which I don't know if you can fact check that, but could potentially be true. Anyway, yeah, why, yeah, not? <laughs> why not? She plays it off. Um, it's just another one of those things that we see in all these films is, is that the teenagers just never trust the parents 
um, to give them information about what's going on. First of all, typically they don't believe you. Second of all, you know, they feel like they're going to handle it on their own. So parents just don't understand. <laughs> there may be more Will Smith talk coming later in this podcast. Stay tuned. <laughs> so from there, after a nice bath, Nancy decides it's bedtime. So she makes her way to her bedroom and Glenn uh, sneaks into her room. They have this conversation and Nancy decides I'm going to sleep. You watch me, wake me up if something goes wrong. So in her dream, she goes to visit Rod in jail. She sees uh, Freddie messing with Rod, and she also sees Tina in her body bag again. And then she sees Glenn is asleep. He had one job. Yeah, one come job. on, Glenn. I mean, she told you, look, I just need you to do one thing for me. While I go to sleep, you need to stand guard. Um, and I think that's a, there's an indicator early on when Nancy's walking around her dream world. So she looks back and calls out, like, Glenn, are you there? And he's also in the dream world Yes. Um, behind some bushes being like, yeah, I'm here. I'm watching. So, um, But, yeah, like you said before, Trent, when we enter this dream world, you know, it's just very much like the dreams that we have. Is We don't really – it's hard to discern between reality and the dream world. It's all kind of mixed up. Um, right. You know. Well, and because the thing with the dreams is that the town that this is taking place in is never identified. Mm-hmm. But I mean, her, her dreams are taking place in the town, so it's not right. like she's in like some like new like she's walking the same street. She's walking. You know, we've seen the jail. We've seen her house. Like, right. These are, these are places we've been before, so we don't know what's real and what's not. Yeah. Good um, point. So anyway, back to the dream. Uh, Freddie sees her. Uh, the chase is on. She runs back to her house. The staircase turns into like mush as she's trying to make her way up. She eventually makes her way up uh, back into her bedroom. She sees Glenn's asleep. And then the alarm clock goes off and she's back awake. And Glenn gets a little talking to. Yeah, she's got to remount Glenn because he had one job. <laughs> so the two of them decide because she saw Freddie messing with uh, Rod in the dream. They decide we have to go to the police station right now. Rod is in danger. So they get to the police station. Uh, her dad is there. They're saying, oh, he's asleep. Nothing can go wrong. She's like, no, something is wrong. And we cut downstairs to the dream. We see Rod is asleep. And we see his blanket start to tie a noose around his neck all by itself. And Freddy strikes again. You can ring that bell for number two. Rod gets hung in his jail cell. Yeah, body count two. Appears to be trent suicide but we the audience knows a little bit different here yes freddie is framing rod to make it look like it was a murder suicide type situation uh to the police but the audience knows better at this point so from there we cut straight to rod's funeral so this is presumably a few days later yeah can i interject here real quick so like you said we cut right to rod's funeral where's tina's funeral (laughs) i mean i mean she presumably was innocently murdered by her boyfriend. We don't get to see her funeral, but Rod, the presumable girlfriend killer slash, you know, took his own life. He gets his own, he gets his own, you know, funeral. He gets his own goodbye from everybody. So thought that was interesting. Yes. So as they are getting ready to leave the funeral, Nancy is telling both of her parents that the real killer is still out there. She knows who did it. It's this guy who has a red and green sweater and lots of burns. And we could see 
Her parents exchange a look between each other, and we know something is up. Yep, we know something's up. They're not telling us. So her mom decides that she's going to take her to go get real help. So our next scene takes place at the Katja Institute, which is a sleep study. I don't know if it's a real sleep study or not, but uh, that's where <laughs> we're headed. And we get an interesting scene where the doctor and Nancy's mother are discussing uh, the state of dreams as they watch Nancy sleep. So it's kind of interesting um, hearing them talk about yeah. dreams versus reality. Right. And, you know, it's 1984, so the technology on the computer is pretty hilarious. Yes. <laughs> they have this, like, huge... Uh, what's the thing that measures earthquakes? Like with the Richter and scale. Like light, yeah, like it's almost like a giant Richter scale or like lie detector test almost where there's like, it looked like 20 different arms with like a pen at the end, just like marking her, her movements and stuff. It was kind of, kind of comical for me to look back on that technology there. Yes. So <laughs> this time as Nancy falls asleep, we do not see her dream, but we see her movements and we see she starts thrashing about and eventually, the guy's like, oh, there must be something wrong. This is off the charts. And about that mm-hmm. time, Nancy wakes up screaming. They rush into the room. Nancy has a cut on her wrist and somehow has brought a weird, dirty hat with her. Yeah, so that was interesting. Now we know that there is definitely... I mean, we know there's a parallel between the real world and the dream world, but now we're starting to get the idea that because she grabbed Freddie's hat, we didn't get to see it, but she she has the hat in her possession that she grabbed before she woke up, and she's able to bring objects back into reality. Yes, this is a big turning point for uh, Nancy here that will come into play later on in the film. So from there, they make their way back home, and... Uh, we get an argument between uh, Nancy and her mom, Marge, uh, in the kitchen. Uh, Marge is telling her, oh, you know, it's nothing to worry about. You just need to sleep. And Nancy busts out the hat, and inside the hat is the name Fred Krueger. And Marge does not react well to this. She says, Fred Krueger is dead. He can't hurt you. Yeah, she doesn't elaborate at this point, but... You know, he's got his name written in the hat. She was going to throw it away. Um, yeah, just, you know, the, the parents aren't helping here, Trent. So Nancy's mom decides to take things a step further and puts bars on the windows. Nancy is now trapped inside, but she throws her a bone. And she decides to tell her the truth. So they make their way down to the basement, and Marge tells her that Fred Krueger was a child murderer uh, in the local area who got off because the cops did not have a proper search warrant. Yeah, she reveals, this is a huge, this is a huge reveal now. Um, we now know that Fred Krueger was an actual real person who, like you said, preyed on children. I think she mentions that he killed at least 20 kids in the neighborhood that they knew about. So, I mean, that is just a mass murderer of children in that small community. So once Fred has been let off the hook by a technicality, the parents decide to take justice into their own hands. They track him down to a boiler room. They lock him inside and they set the place ablaze and they kill Fred Krueger. Yeah, that um, coincidentally was the place that he would take his victims in that old boiler room. I guess it's an abandoned 
I don't know. I feel like it has to be a structure to have a boiler room. They don't mention what the structure was, but anyway, we just know it's a boiler room. Like you said, they gassed it up, set it on fire, presumably burning him alive and killing him. So in order to prove that Fred Krueger is really dead, uh, her mom pulls out Freddy's glove. She actually has Freddy's original (laughs) glove that he used to murder the kids with. Yeah, that's just, to, to me, that was a weird thing to keep. Like, you, like, like, keeping mementos from a murder that you committed seems pretty interesting to me. Now, here's my question. <laughs> so, Nancy is alive. So, <laughs> she, ipso facto, wasn't one of the kids Fred killed, right? So, right. why of all people does her mom is she the one to take the glove when she didn't have a kid murdered by fred yeah i mean there's you know there's plot holes in these movies that was a it was an interesting reveal of course but i thought that was a little bit of a stretch being like and i also have his glove here yeah also why was his glove not in the boiler room with yeah it? why didn't it why didn't it it burn up yeah shouldn't um, it have getting burned up in the fire or, it's just... or police evidence because they caught him eventually maybe, um, I... maybe that's the answer maybe because her ex-husband is a lieutenant maybe that's why they have the glove we'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt okay there, there you go that connected the dots there i'm okay now i can sleep yes <laughs> plausible answer we'll, 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 we're doing the work for them <laughs> but anyway from there we find out uh, that Nancy and Glenn actually live directly across the street from each other because we get an interesting scene where they have a phone call, but they're standing in windows and they can like actually see each other as they're talking to each other. And Nancy, mm. realizing how dangerous it is to fall asleep, begs Glenn, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. So they get off the phone and Glenn goes to sleep. <laughs> yeah, he goes immediately to sleep. Puts He's on like, the oh. headphones and conks out. <laughs> Yeah, just out of there. So Nancy freaks out. She calls to try to try to wake him up. Her uh, Glenn's dad takes the phone, says, you're just going to have to talk to him tomorrow, and crucially leaves the mm-hmm. phone off the hook so now she cannot call back, and Glenn is trapped. Yeah, you know, Glenn's parents are being pretty reasonable here. They're like, hey, maybe you shouldn't associate with this, this girl right now. Um, she's going a little bit crazy. She hasn't slept in seven days. Uh, we get a little scene of her drinking a lot of coffee, and she's also taking what I thought were like no-dose pills. Yeah. Um, yeah, something that like truckers will take to keep awake. It's basically like caffeine pills. So she's, I mean, even if if you're up for seven days, Trent, you're not in sound mind. No, absolutely not. <laughs> um, so then... Of course, she is immediately proven right because now we cut back to Glenn's bedroom and we get an incredible shot where yes. Glenn is sucked into the bed and just a, I, I don't even know how to describe it, just <laughs> a monsoon of blood shoots up out of the bed into the roof. Yeah, just complete carnage. Like you said, just a, I called it a blood fountain. How about that? Blood Fountain, I, I like that. So ring that bell for number three, Glenn in the Blood Fountain. <laughs> yes, body count three. So now the police rush over to Glenn's house, 
And Nancy decides, enough's enough, and I ain't going to take it no more. She's pulling the pop up. <laughs> That's right. So she's decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get him. I know because I brought his hat earlier, I could bring him back to the real world. So she gets on the phone with her dad, who has gone to Glenn's house to, uh, to look at the murder scene or whatever. She tells him, be here in exactly 30 minutes uh, and, and be ready. So Yeah, you know, I thought that was a little interesting, Trent. She's giving a lot of warning signs to Glenn. Hey, stay awake from me um, during this one scene and then tells him not to go to sleep during another. She phones her dad at Glenn's place telling him, hey, I'm going to go get him, but you need to be back over here at a certain time. All of those all of those plans and pleas go mostly ignored by the rest of the characters in this film. Yes. Time and time again, Nancy is proven right. She knows what she's talking about and no one will listen. Right. So Nancy's dad, like you said, kind of hand waves her like, Oh yeah, yeah, honey, go, go get some sleep. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. Don't worry about it. Clearly has no intention of actually following through, but Nancy does not pick that up. So she sets <laughs> a stopwatch uh, or an alarm clock, I should say for exactly 30 minutes. She sets up some booby traps, like uh, yeah. a sledgehammer and some, some other stuff. Yeah, some and, Home Alone-type traps yes, there. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin would be proud. Right. So then she uh, recites, now I lay me down to sleep, and she nods off. And wouldn't you know it, here we are one more time back in the boiler room. Mm-hmm. So now Freddie and Nancy are fighting, and... Just as the alarm is about to go off, she grabs him. She tackles him in her front yard in the dream. The alarm goes off, and she wakes up, and no one's there. No Freddy, yeah. no dad, no nothing. Nothing. She's just alone in her bedroom. But then, out of nowhere, Freddy attacks. Freddy is now in the real world. So the fight is on. She gets out of the room. She, uh, Freddy runs right into the booby traps. He gets nailed right in the gut by the sledgehammer that she set up <laughs> in the doorframe. It knocks him over the stairway. He falls. Eventually, she uh, fights him down into the basement where she sets him on fire. Nancy yeah. is not messing around. No, she's a little badass. I mean, sh you know, she, she quickly, quickly became the final girl here. And yeah, she douses him with some kerosene. She strikes a match. Sets him on fire, leaves him in the cellar to die. So from there, she runs to the front door, which also, by the way, in addition to the window uh, getting barricaded earlier, the front door is also barricaded. So she breaks like the, the, the glass in the door. She starts yelling across the street. Eventually, her dad and some other cops come running. They bust in. They uh, track the fire, and they make their way upstairs where Freddy is on the bed attacking Marge. Uh, Don, her father, grabs a blanket to put out the fire. The fire goes out. Freddy is gone, and we get probably the worst shot of the film. It is, <laughs> yeah, I mean, bad. it is low-budget 1984 <laughs> special effects, as bad as it could get, <laughs> of a corpse, like, descending into the bed with It's like uh, a skeleton, fog. yeah. Like, it's, it's so, <laughs> so bad. bad. So bad. So uh, Freddie and Marge have both sunk in presumably into the dream world, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, I have a question mark here, Trent. Yes. So 
technically, or is this body count number four? I put it. I put it down. Uh, yeah, we'll like half ring the bell. Ding. Okay, you know, like a little, a little, little ding. Like a little <laughs> ding. Don't, I don't know how to describe full, that. Yeah, it's like Marge uh, descending into the dream world. Um, I have it in my also, notes as sucked into bed. Yeah, there you go, sucked into bed. So, so we're here, right? So that just happened. Don um, and Nancy both see this, and then you know he's a little bit shocked, but I mean not, yeah, not not shocked enough in my opinion. And then she's like, she tells Nancy tells him to go downstairs, yeah. and he's like, it's okay, honey. <laughs> we just both saw your mother disappear in some paranormal act. No problem. You need your space. <laughs> so weird. And then after Don leaves, wouldn't you know it, we see Freddy come back up through the bed. Nancy refuses to even look at him and says, this is all just a dream. You're completely powerless. And then we get another hideous 80 special effects shot as Eddie disappears mm-hmm. once again as he's trying to grab Nancy. And then as Nancy opens the bedroom door, she steps out and it's daylight. And her mother comes out next to her. What's going yeah, on here? What is going on here? I actually, will, and we'll talk about it after this, but what is going on here? <laughs> and then Glenn, Rod, and Tina all pull up in a convertible to pick her up. What is going on? Nancy and her mother talk about how she had a heavy sleep last night. And then Nancy heads down, gets in the car. They close the convertible roof. And we see those familiar colors. The red and green sweater uh, pattern are now on the convertible roof. And Uh as the car drives away, we see the kids jump roping again, singing one, two, Freddy's coming for you. And Freddy breaks the glass and grabs Marge and credits roll. Roll credit. And that is a nightmare on Elm Street. Trent, there's a lot to unpack here, but... Can we just start with that final scene? Like, this had me really scratching my head. So this is very reminiscent of the final scene from Friday the 13th, where when Jason popped out of the water, it's kind of left up to the viewer to interpret, was that a dream or was that reality? Did by, is it possible that by defeating Freddy and taking away his power, maybe did it reset everything? Is, is that possible? Is everybody alive again? Or, or what's yeah. going on? Yeah, I don't have a good explanation for this. So I, I watched the ending twice, and I just don't I don't understand exactly what happened here. Was that another dream? Or are we, like you said, presumably did, did Nancy defeating Freddy set everything back to where um, her friends are alive, Tina, and we saw Glenn and Rod and her mom. Are they all back? But then Freddie comes out and grabs Marge again at the end. So, right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I did some research. I looked are, it up. are we are we inceptioning here? What's going on? <laughs> yes, this is actually a prequel to Inception. Um, <laughs> Bloody yeah, bit. I don't know. A little known um, fact: Inception takes place in the Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> timeline. Oh, I like it. I like it. So yeah, that's a Nightmare on Elm Street, Trent. Um, Let's dive into uh, well, some of the, the I mean, cast and we, direction show. Well, hold on. Before we do that, do we actually want to want to actually answer the question, or do we just want to leave it up for, for the viewer's interpretation? 
I honestly don't know. So you tell me. You, what, what is your interpretation here? Well, I mean, I know how the rest of the franchise plays out, so I know the actual answer. Right. So, in, so Nancy comes back in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and right. all those people are, in fact, dead. That's correct. Yeah. So that, that's the interesting part is if you want the answer, well, you're not going to find it in part two because part two <laughs> is basically a standalone sequel that was kind of rushed to come out the next year has virtually nothing to do with this movie except for uh, a new family has moved into Nancy's house. Um, and that's about it. But then in part three, we get the actual answer when Nancy returns. Okay. So there's the answer. Yeah. It was still, it's still a weird choice. I think um, I did read that uh, Wes Craven, you know, being the writer and director, he actually wanted the film to end happily. He actually wanted those characters to be back. The producer of the film wanted to leave it open to sequels, leave it a bit more up to interpretation, a little more ominous, so to speak. And, you know, who usually wins those battles there, Trent? Yep. The man with the money gets the final decision, <laughs> generally speaking. <laughs> That's right. All right. So, yes, let's go ahead and move on to the cast, where I think the natural place to start is the man himself, Robert England as Fred, Fred, eventually known as Freddy, but pre- mm-hmm. predominantly called Fred in this movie, Fred Krueger. Yeah, Rob, Robert England. Um, he is a classically trained actor. Um, I don't know. Obviously, he took the role. I don't know if he thought this was below him, but I mean, what has become one of the most recognizable uh, villains, really one of the most recognizable characters, I think you could say, in cinematic history, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And it's also interesting because when most people think of Freddy Krueger, they think of the wisecracking, you right. know, you know, trash talking villain. But we don't see that here. This is this is a this is a very serious character in this film, and he wouldn't develop that personality until later in the franchise. Yeah, you're exactly right. So as we've all seen the sequels and stuff, yeah, there's a lot of dark comedy that's involved with these. He's real jokey. He's always playing little tricks and stuff. In this, uh, yeah, he doesn't really have. Um, He doesn't really do a lot. So with that being said, you know, I enjoy the film a lot, but I think there was a lot of meat left on the bone here. Um, You know, it definitely lends itself to those sequels, which we have, and and we talked about a little, we'll talk about more. I'm really excited for you to run down uh, the list of these, Um, you know, but I was just felt wanting a little bit more there. Yeah. So um, I I do still think that, I mean, even, you know, even ignoring the sequels and just in terms of casting here, you would have been hard pressed to find a better uh, Freddy Krueger than Robert England. So the, just a, just a huge casting win here that would eventually yeah. spawn a franchise. So from there we move on to, I mean, really the headline star of the film, Heather Lingenkamp as Nancy Thompson, our final girl. Yeah. I thought she played the character really well. Um, you know, it was a little more developed than obviously all of her other character or her uh, other teenagers there. Um, you know, other than the fact that she's not really listened to, I think she plays the kind of small, unassuming final girl in this. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Nancy in this film and you compare her to Alice in Friday the 13th, which was the last movie reviewed, it's 
night and day. I mean, Nancy is, is such a much more fleshed out character. You know what she's thinking. You, you feel mm-hmm. for her. You're, you're really there with Nancy on an emotional level. So I think Heather Langenkamp does a tremendous job here. So Heather Langenkamp in, in this movie, you know, like we talked about, you know, uh, she's really the star of the show here, and she comes back for part three. She comes back for part seven. But unlike Jamie Lee Curtis in the Halloween franchise, not a whole lot happens for her outside of, uh, of A Nightmare on Elm Street, which is kind of disappointing because it really looked like she had the chops here. Yeah, I, like I said, I thought she did a great job. Um, you know, she's definitely definitely plays that trope perfectly. Um, and she's kind of a badass, you know, instead of like being, obviously she's afraid to go to sleep, but you know, she decides once and for all, Hey, I'm going after this guy. I'm going to get him. I'm going to bring him back to the real world so we can defeat him. Um, so, you know, while she again, stays up for seven days, um, she finds it in herself to be like, Hey, I want to end this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from there, I mean, the natural talking point is (laughs) Johnny Depp as Glenn Lance. Um, Pretty easy to say that no one, Johnny Depp included, could have imagined how his career would turn out after this film. I mean, he becomes, I mean, literally one, of the, star. one of the five biz, biggest actors in the world at one point in the 2000s. Um, even to this day, I mean, he, he had starred in the first two films of the Fantastic Beasts franchise, uh, which is, of course, connected to Harry Potter. Uh, before recently stepping down because of the whole Amber Heard situation, which that's a story for another day. Um, mm-hmm. But like you said earlier, this was his film debut. And I mean, you can tell like for, you know, a low budget horror film, he's, he, you know, he's got all the charm and charisma you would want as he plays the literal boy next door. Yeah. I think he makes the most out of every appearance that he has on screen. Um, he doesn't really have a ton to do. I mean, he's he's in multiple scenes, but you know, he doesn't really have to. Um, you know, I don't really know the word for it, but it, yeah, he does a great job. He definitely jumps off the screen. You can tell that he, um, you know, he's a handsome guy. He's playing the 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 role really well, and he becomes Johnny Depp. I mean, Johnny Depp. I mean, just the name alone is star power. So uh, as far as the rest of our teenage crew, we have Amanda Wise as Tina and Nick Corey as Rod. I mean, honestly, Tina gets killed so early in the film. Not a whole lot to talk about there. And and honestly, Rod, not far behind. I believe he was in, what, four scenes? So not a whole lot for them to do. They are just there to ring up the numbers. Yeah, you know, and it's kind of funny, Trent. I don't know if you thought about this too, but... If you were to like recast this, like knowing what we know about Johnny Depp now, you, you'd kind of think he would play more of the bad boy boyfriend with the leather jacket, kind of troubled teen. But he definitely plays more of the, the good guy, boy next door. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that, that's a really good point that I hadn't considered. Yeah, if you were to retroactively cast it, you would definitely see Johnny Depp as more of the rod. But that's not what we got here in reality. So that, that is kind of interesting. From there, uh, really the only other two people that I think worth talking about are uh, Nancy's parents, John Saxon playing Don and Ronnie Blackley playing Marge. Yeah, so one thing about Marge is they kind of touch on it, but I don't think, and it must have got cut, you know, left on the editing room floor, is there's hints and mentions that she's an alcoholic that we just see like little bits of. Right. Um, 
you know, in that last dream sequence, she even says like, I think I'm going to stop drinking now. I don't want it anymore. Anyway, um, I thought she was less effective than John Saxon as the, as the sheriff or the, the police officer here. Yeah. Like you said, that whole uh, alcoholic storyline was so insignificant that I just, you know, I didn't even think it was worth mentioning in the plot summary. It was just, it was just kind of there. But um, in terms of the actual performance, you know, she, I, I thought she actually did do a decent job of showing just that hint of crazy that the role required. Yeah, uh, I can agree with that. And then uh, John Saxton, I mean, what a terrible father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no judgment on him in real life, <laughs> but Don, good God, man. <laughs> yeah, leaving your daughter uh, as the bait to catch um, who you think is a killer and... And then just not coming through whenever she's begging you to be like, hey, dad, please get my back here. 30 minutes. Be there. <laughs> Absolutely, honey. No problem. Nope. <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking at his IMDb page. Um, you know, rest in peace to the actor. He actually passed away this July in 2020, unfortunately, at the age of 83. Um, won a Golden Globe back in 1958 as most promising newcomer for a, a film called This Happy Feeling. So, um, was recognized throughout time, was nominated for another Golden Globe in 1967. Um, I'm not familiar with a lot of his work when I look down his IMDb here, but um, he did make his way in Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. Is that correct? Uh, yes. And, and again, uh, Heather Langenkamp is also in that film. Um, so from there, I think uh, that would be a good point to talk about the critical um uh, success of this film because you know i think we mentioned it in the friday the 13th franchise where we ran down the scores for that franchise which were often very very low this <laughs> yeah. film I, did do you actually did you look do you know what the answer do you know what this film got on rotten tomatoes without looking i don't know about its rotten tomatoes um but IMDb is usually my biggest indicator. It, it currently holds a 7.5 with more than 200,000 votes. Rotten Tomatoes usually is pretty parallel to that. So I'd say it's, it's about a 75 to an 80, wouldn't it? How about a 94? Wow. This movie is 94% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. That is wow. an unheard of number for a horror movie, especially a slasher. Yeah, so people people definitely this was um this is well received by critics and audiences alike. Yes, uh, I was reading one of the uh, contemporary reviews that came out at the time, and they said you know interesting for us that Fred Krueger was the most you know uh, notorious villain since Michael Myers, which had come out you know five years earlier. Hey, that's good company to be in for sure. So let's talk about the box office real quick. I know we'll we'll get more into. Um, and you talked about how the, the sequels of Friday the 13th were just loathed. Um, not necessarily the same for, for Nightmare on Elm Street, but box office, so estimated budget of $1.8 which low budget, but significantly more than Friday the 13th and Halloween, I think, that were made on you know, less than a million dollars. Went on to gross $57 million worldwide, made a huge success. And I have a note here. So this was a new line cinema film. And they playfully nicknamed New Line Cinema after this, the house that Freddie built. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Friday, the, or excuse me, the Nightmare on Elm Street films really bankroll New Line Cinema 
all throughout the 80s. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think they just either got absorbed or something within the last decade. But New Line Cinema, cinema growing up in the 90s, you saw um, this production company on a lot of films um, throughout the year. So. All right, Graham, are we ready to jump into the timeline? Yes, I, this is my favorite part when Trent runs down the timeline of these films. Let's jump right in, man. I'm so excited. All right, so here we got, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original movie, comes out November 9th, 1984. And it is, you know, like we talked about, it's a commercial success. It's a critical success. So they rush to create a sequel. <laughs> it comes out 51 weeks later on November 1st, 1985. Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Even though it comes out just one year later, it's set five years later. Um, okay. But ultimately, like I mentioned earlier, there's really not a lot of connective tissue between one and two. The only real connective tissue is that a new family has moved into Nancy's house and Freddie begins stalking the teenage boy who lives there. Now, um, if you actually watch the film, there's a very strong, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, it, it, it plays very much like an allegory for coming out, if you can believe that, where the, wow, the, okay. the teenager the way the movie is shot very much feels like it's his, his name's Mark Patton. Uh, the character is Jesse Walsh very much is struggling with his sexuality. And, and Freddie is kind of like that demon inside him. If you're not saying that sexuality, you know, sexuality is a demon or whatever. I'm just saying, right. You understand what I mean? It's yeah. You know, I know what you mean. It's, it's the, I don't even know how to explain it either. There's not a good, yeah, but I know, I know what parallel you're trying to make. Yeah, it's, sure. it's, it's, what's, it's, the, it's the battle raging inside him. So it's, it's actually, sure. it's a very interesting take because you're talking about 1985 America. This is right before the AIDS pandemic. We're, I mean, the, the country is really starting to, to grasp homosexuality for the first time, and, and this movie comes out. Uh, from there, we get A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. This is much more of a direct sequel to the original film here. Uh, we see Heather Langenkamp comes back, and she's basically leading a team of teenagers who f decide to fight against Freddy called the Dream Warriors. So it's a, it's yeah, a very cool concept. A cool she's, she's like the head coach of this new group of teenagers <laughs> fighting back against Freddy. Yeah, like you said, uh, Heather Langenkamp's back. John Saxon's back. Um, there's some, there's some really cool scenes in this film. It's been a while since I've seen it. I can't wait to revisit this one again. But I remember I liked this one much more than um, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. So from there, uh, I should mention that came out in February of 87, so about 14, 15 months after part two. So this is very much like uh, Friday the 13th. We are banging out sequels at this pace because <laughs> then a year and a half later, in August of 1988, we get... A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master. Uh, so a year and a half later, we've got another installment. This basically picks up right where Part 3 left off um, and just, just continues the battle against Freddy. Um, then, again, about 51 weeks later, in August of 1989, we get A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, in which we find out that... Uh, 
Freddie had a child. Bum, bum, bum. Interesting. Yeah, and, and this is where they, they start in Nightmare on Elm Street 5, at least on the IMDb credits, they're starting to bill um, Robert England as, as the star here. He's yeah. the first build now. Oh, yeah. I mean, basically from part two on, Robert England is the star of the show. So from there, we get Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, uh, about two years later in September of 91. Uh, and this really concludes the original timeline of the Nightmare franchise because in October of 1994, we get bar none, the craziest entry in this franchise, when yes. we get Wes Craven's new Nightmare. This one's very meta. <laughs> it, it is. So for those of you who have not seen Wes Craven's new Nightmare, this movie stars Heather Langenkamp, as Heather Langenkamp, Heather Langenkamp, right? The star of A Nightmare on Elm Street, because you see, Freddy is now haunting Heather Langenkamp in real life, and <laughs> the entire franchise was movies. So, I mean, this is as self-referential as you could possibly. Wes Craven is a character in this film. Yeah, Robert England plays Robert England and Freddy Krueger. Yes, so. Just an absolutely wild uh, film. Really stands alone. Um, and then Freddy goes dormant for a while. We talked about how in the we talked about in the Friday the Thirteenth podcast that they were working on a Freddy versus Jason film in the early nineties. We saw mm-hmm. you know Freddy's glove uh, pull Jason's hockey mask into hell at the end of Jason Goes to Hell. Well. That movie spent almost a decade in developmental hell before finally, in August of 2003, we got Freddy vs. Jason. And, uh, you know, I said it on the Friday the 13th podcast, this movie is an absolute blast. I'm sure we'll we'll get to it uh, sooner rather than later. But then the franchise goes dormant yet again, and much like Friday the 13th, the next time we see a nightmare film, it is a full reboot and we get A Nightmare on Elm Street in April of 2010. And that's it. It's been over a decade since we've seen Freddy yeah. on the silver screen. Yeah, and, and that one didn't have Robert England, of course. It had Jackie Earl Haley, which is a respected actor in his own right as Freddy Krueger. Um, not sure it had the same feel. Um, one little bloody bit. So Wes Craven intended for Freddy Krueger in the first film to not be a child murderer, but actually a child pedophile. rapist. Yeah, yeah a, pedophile. a pedophile. They thought that was too much, um, but they go back to that uh, with the with the uh, with the reboot. There, like I said, it it was a commercial success. Um, it wasn't well liked by critics, rather, or though. And yeah, we've had ten years without a Freddy Krueger film. Now, also worth mentioning, um, during this time there was a television series known as Freddy's Nightmares. It aired uh, from uh, October of 90, or excuse me, October of 88 until March of 1990. Now, uh, uh, so two seasons, 22 episodes each. Um, it's very much a Tales from the Crypt type series where Freddy is in the role of the Crypt Keeper. But worth noting is the pilot episode, the first episode is actually a telling 
of Freddy's murder. So uh, for those cool. for, for those of you who want to see the actual killing of Freddy Krueger, go watch the first episode of Freddy's Nightmares. Yeah, I got to get my hands on that some way. Um, you know, I was too young to be able to catch this on TV. Yeah, this sounds fun. Um, like you said, you get so you get let's see, forty-four episodes if I'm reading that right. Yes. Of um, yeah, of stories, Freddy, the dream serial killer. That's and it's an anthology, which yes. is pretty fun. I feel like that would play well now. There's a lot of studios doing anthologies now. Um, Hulu has that. Um, I think it's called Into the Dark. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, good concept so, for for the late '80s, early '90s. And, and so I, I mentioned Freddy's Nightmares because. Frankly, we didn't even talk about this in the Friday the 13th pod, but I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll lay it in here. There was also a Friday the 13th the series, but I didn't even talk about it because right. it has no connective tissue to the actual Friday the 13th franchise. It is literally cashing in on the name. I think the two main characters <laughs> they tell us are like Jason's cousins or something, but like... <laughs> It revolves around like a magical pawn shop where like the, the, the items are cursed and stuff. I mean, it has yeah. nothing to do with the, the series. So that's why I didn't really talk about Friday the 13th series. But no, that was just a, that was just a, just trying to get a recognition from the name alone. Right. Yeah. But Freddy's nightmares. Uh, like I said, you get 44 episodes of Robert England as a crypt keeper type character. And in the first episode, you get the actual backstory of Fred Krueger. So um, good for them. All right, Graham. So with that in mind, how about we jump into some bloody bits? What do you got for us this week? Absolutely. So as you know, a lot of these low budget or small budget horror films back in the eighties were shot fairly quickly. So this shot was in, this film was shot in just 32 days. Um, you know, that was pretty common for the time, but one thing that you do have to commend them on here, Trent is their use of practical effects um, yeah, they didn't have to spend a lot of time in, in um, post-production, things like that. You mentioned the two times that they did use kind of special effects or CGI or whatever you called it back then were super corny, campy, I think took away from the realism of the film. But I really was a fan of the practical effects they used in this. Yeah, I mean, um, the most famous one, of course, is the shot of Freddy stretching the wall above uh, Nancy as she sleeps. That was done practically, which is crazy. Yeah, that was done practically. Also, the glove, Trent. The iconic glove. So the bloody bit I have here is that there were actually three gloves that they used during filming. There was a hard rubber glove that was used for stunts. Obviously, you don't want, like, you know, don't run with scissors. <laughs> <laughs> don't run with a, uh, a glove and knives for fingers. Um, there was one that had real blades, and that's what uh, Robert England said in an interview. They called the hero glove that actually did have those real knives that could cut you. And I think Robert England actually did um, give himself a little nick at one point. And then there was a third glove that was made with um, hard balsa wood blades that were covered in mylar. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. But I looked up what mylar is, and I was kind of interested. It's actually this kind of polyester film that has a number of uses. They use an insulation. Um, you might have seen uh, or throughout the years, like when they cover like a marathon runner with a blanket, it's that reflective, almost looks like aluminum foil. Hmm. And you've seen um, 
maybe uh, sunshades that you put on your car windshield when it's hot out, and it's that like reflective silver. Right. So, so yeah, they use that for for another glove. There, they had wood with um, covered with that aluminum foilish type stuff called mylar, which is pretty cool. Interesting. Last one here of my bloody bits before we talk about Wes Craven, which we got to jump into his career soon. Um, the boiler room, the famous boiler room, boiler room scenes where Freddy attacks all his victims. That was actually shot in a real boiler room in the basement of the Lincoln Heights jail in Los Angeles. And soon after shooting ended Trent, that building was condemned because of asbestos. So, wow. <laughs> well, how about this, Graham? I've got a bloody bit for you. Yes, love it. Bring it on. So we talked about how there was the reboot in 2010. Well, they actually worked on trying to do a second reboot in 2016 because they weren't happy with the financial returns on the 2010 version, so they were going to reboot it again. And do you know who Robert England wanted to play Freddy Krueger in the uh, 2016 version? I don't know, and I don't know if I should guess. Um... Let's just say Johnny Depp. How about someone who we talked about on the last episode of this podcast? Robert England wanted Kevin Bacon to play Freddy Krueger. Wow. that I would watch that film. I think now, that's an interesting choice there. Ultimately, that film got stuck in developmental hell and never got made. But it, uh, it is interesting to think about. Yeah, definitely. I would not be surprised... Um, if they reboot this here in the next few years, I think that there's plenty, uh, like I mentioned, I think this one has a really cool concept for me. Um, it's, you know, particularly interesting because I've always been fascinated with dreams myself. Um, and I dream a lot, Trent. I have, I have vivid dreams. I have lucid dreams. I even suffer from sleep paralysis, which is pretty interesting for me. So this was a fun concept for a horror film, uh, for me to say the least, you know, there's so much you can do in a dream world, right? Yes, um, you absolutely. can bend reality. There are no rules in the dream world. So, um, yeah, there's, um, yeah, there was so much room uh, for this franchise to grow. And I'm excited to go back and watch some of these sequels I haven't seen in years to uh, see how they play with that. Now, uh, there's one more conversation I want to have before we wrap this up. I think the only right thing to do, now that we've watched each of the big three, we got to rank them. So, Graham, Ooh. Halloween... Versus Friday the 13th versus The Nightmare on Elm Street. Just the originals, just the three films that we've watched. Rank them in order. Oof. Got you off guard. You did catch me off guard. Okay. Just based on the original films, I would go Halloween 1, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, and Friday the 13th 3. So for me... Friday the 13th, just clearly, I mean, it, it just doesn't stack up to the other two. Yeah. So Friday the 13th is definitely third. And then I'm going to say Halloween 2 and wow. Friday, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street number one. I, I just, I love this film. It, it's so fun to watch. Because the, the thing is with this movie is it's just a load of fun. Like, yeah, it is a lot of fun. Halloween is very, very tense. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of slow and yeah, fun is not a word I would use to describe Halloween. This movie <laughs> is fun, so yeah, would... this is more of a popcorn flick. I know those yes. are kind of right up your alley there. Yes, absolutely. So th- this is my 
favorite of the three films. And before we go, I think we absolutely need to talk about the man who made this movie happen, which is Wes Craven. We kind of touched on him in the open, but uh, he really deserves a deeper look because if you look at the list of horror films that Wes Craven was behind, let's just rattle off some names, shall we? The Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, A Nightmare on Elm Street. So he revitalizes the uh, the whole horror franchise in the 90s with Scream, Scream 2, and Scream 3. Um, and he continues making movies into the 2000s. I mean, we got Cursed, Red Eye, uh, My Soul to Take, and then um, most recently, Scream 4 in 2011. Yeah, Scream 4. Uh, first of all, and I know we're going to cover these, Scream is my probably my favorite horror franchise of all time, just because when that came out in 96, I was 10 years old. I remember going to see this in the theater by myself. My parents would drop me off at the movies because um, that's what you did back in the 90s. But by myself, I'd be able to buy a ticket to you know some cartoon. I walked into Scream not knowing anything about it, watched it in an empty theater by myself, and it was just one of my favorite memories of all time. It's always been a favorite of mine. So yes, Wes Craven. Um, also did Vampire in Brooklyn, which was a, a nice uh, Eddie Murphy comedy back then. Um, just some great, great screen credits from Wes Craven. Um, you know, RIP to Wes Craven. What a, what a master of horror he was and um, just brought us so many great horror characters over the years. All right. So I think that pretty much puts a bow on A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, but now we must look to the future, Graham, and I have a few options for you, what we can Ooh. do for episode four, all right? Yes. All right, so I was thinking about it, and while we did review Friday the 13th, you didn't really get to see Jason Voorhees in action. So I thought one possibility is we pick one of the Friday the 13th sequels, and review that to actually see Jason in action. So whether it be two, three, my personal favorite six, I thought <laughs> maybe that would be fun. So that's one option. Okay. Another option, how about Freddy versus Jason? You get to see both of them at work. I like that idea a lot. Or we could continue the Wes Craven theme, and we could look at Scream. I am a fan of all three of those ideas, Trent. I am chomping at the bit and then, to... <laughs> oh, wait, we got one more. One final option, and this would actually be a multi-week option, is we reviewed the original Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street. How about the reboots? We could review Rob Zombie's Halloween. We could review the 2009 Friday the 13th, and we could review the 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street. So those are the four options I have for you, Graham. Any of the Jason Voorhees sequels of Friday the 13th, Scream, we could do the reboots, or we could do Freddy vs. Jason. I mean, these are all good ideas, Trent. Um, I just talked about how much I love the Scream franchise. I've been chomping at the bit to review that one. That one gets my vote, but I think all of them would be great to review. And it might be something, you know... uh, and of course, guys, this isn't a matter of if we don't review it now, we're never going yes. to get to it. This is just, what are we going to do next? So now the yeah. question is, actually, if we're going to do Scream, do we 
Do the original, or do you want to look at one of the sequels by chance? I say go with the original. All right, works for me. So episode four of Body Count, two weeks from now, put it in your calendars. You are going to get Scream. I can't wait, man. I, I just love Scream. I've seen this. I watch this movie all throughout the year, at least once a year, maybe twice a year, three times a year. Just love it. Well, before we go, I teased something earlier, Graham. Do you by chance remember what it was? I don't. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bad listener right now. <laughs> I mentioned there would be more Will Smith conversation. Oh, yes, you, know, you did say about Will Smith. Do you know why there's going to be some more Will Smith conversation? Well, okay, I know this because my wife, actually, shout out to Stephanie here. Um, she used to listen to Will Smith's song back in the day that is dubbed with the Friday the 13th music. Nightmare on my street. Yeah. So this song was released in August of 1988. So taking us out today, a little bit of a different end for the podcast. We're going to leave you with just a little bit of Nightmare on My Street by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. We'll see you next time on Body Count. Hey, thanks, guys. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Body Count Show. We'll see you in two weeks. Now I have a story that I'd like to tell about this guy. You all know me and we scared as hell. He comes to me at night. At-